0: the american medical grads they aren't afraid to put pen to paper during residency i was at a hospital with some very elite u.s grads and one of them there was applying for a fellowship and it was going on about how you know one of his close family members is like a right a physician was i think an Mm -hmm. er physician and a writer for new york times or somewhere and uh, you know this resident um, had expected that a family member was going to write their essay for them and basically edit their whole application and was actually a bit annoyed that they were having to do a little bit of the work themselves and give this family member some background so uh, when i heard that i was like if you're a foreign grad and you're coming from outside and these people have all these resources it's, it's really an uphill battle so just to be on a level playing field with somebody like that, you know, you really have to have somebody really going over yourself, putting together a really good application.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the IMG residency match podcast. You're in the right place. If you're an ambitious international medical graduate, who wants insider strategies and inspiration to help you match into residency. I'm your host, Shawna K. Lester. I've been an admission consultant and writing coach for 12 years. And for the last seven years, I've helped IMGs create residency applications that help them get multiple interviews, match, and create the medical career they want. If anyone understands the ins and outs of becoming an international medical graduate and being an international medical graduate, it's Dr. Francis Christian. Dr. Christian completed high school in the island of Jamaica, but he didn't go straight to medical school there, which was an option. Instead, he went to the U.S. and he completed an undergraduate degree in biology. He eventually returned to the Caribbean, though, for medical school, St. Matthew's University in Grand Cayman, before matching into a residency program in internal medicine in New York. So Dr. Christian made the most out of that residency opportunity, which is why he's here today. He matched into a competitive pulmonary critical care fellowship, and he's now pursuing a second fellowship in sleep medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Harvard Medical School. I am really, really excited to share this conversation. I mean, I think Dr. Christian is a phenomenal human being, but more than that, the conversation really is full of gems for the IMG who is still in medical school, as well as the IMG resident. So we're talking about why Dr. Christian chose to attend a Caribbean medical school, three tips that IMGs can use to be successful in the residency match process. We also spent some time talking about the power of unpaid research externships. Some people like these, some people don't. But the power of these unpaid research externships for the IMG, especially IMGs with red flags who are you know, still just pushing against all odds to match. We talk about how you can be strategic as an IMG in where you do externships and where you rotate to facilitate the ultimate match outcome that you're looking for. We talk about how Dr. Christian used his time during residency to become a competitive fellowship candidate, which clearly he he was and he has been. We also get into, you know, just looking back, what would Dr. Christian change about his residency application? And then we get a little bit personal by talking about how being married to a physician impacted his experience in residency training and what it was like to welcome a baby during his First fellowship. Of course, we also make some time for some fun questions, and we got to talking about his favorite books and movies. So enjoy. So Dr. Christian, thank you for joining us today.
0: Yes, yes. I'm uh, glad to be here.
1: All right. So Francis, Dr. Francis Christian, do you mind telling us a little bit about exactly who you are?
0: I'm a third-year pulmonary and critical care fellow in Oklahoma City now. I grew up in Jamaica, and um, then I did undergrad in the States, came back and did medical school in the Caribbean, went up to New York City for residency. So I've been all over the place and now I'm in Oklahoma City for my first fellowship.
1: All right. So you said that you started in the United States with college. Then you came to medical school in the Caribbean. Could you explain what was your thought process behind making that move?
0: So um, the reason why I made that move was um, during undergrad, I didn't have the best GPA. Kind of had a bit of a tough transition from high school in Jamaica directly into the U.S. college system. Having a good GPA, along with the MCAT, is very essential for getting into med school. So it would have been very hard for me to get in directly from undergrad into a U.S. medical school. So that's when I decided to look back towards the Caribbean schools, of which there are basically two paths. There are the U.S. offshore schools, which is like what I went to St. Matthews. And then, of course, there's um, University of the West Indies, which is about five years versus mine being four years. And mine was a little bit more of a direct path back into the states
1: but you could have chosen to go into any career but you were pretty sure that you wanted to do medicine which is why you committed to it I'm guessing
0: is yeah that- so uh my dad um, was a doctor in Jamaica and my brother is um in the Cayman Island so growing up uh, medicine was always around um, my dad was uh country doctor in St. Catherine, and so I went to work with him.
1: What was it that you saw, if anything, that made you think that you could excel in medicine? Uh,
0: To do well in medicine, you don't just have to be smart, but you have to be able to communicate well with the patients, and the patients have to kind of believe in you and buy into what you're saying and doing.
1: Talking about medical school in the Caribbean, specifically offshore schools, Was there any part of it that was surprising to you once you actually got there?
0: Um, Not so, so much. I was pretty prepared when I went there because I started to kind of read up about the schools and the pathways back into the States. And uh, there are schools that have been around a lot longer than mine. For instance, like your Ross University, St. George's. So there's a lot of information out there. Uh, probably what was surprising was to see how many different people um were there. You had some folks who were coming from England. You had some from smaller um, Eastern Caribbean islands. You had one or two other Jamaicans as well. A, a fair amount of Canadians, and of course others who had did undergrad in the United States. So probably it was you know the diversity of people who were there, um, mm. which was a little bit surprising. It's not like it's just, you know, folks who are in America who are trying to go back in. There are quite a few Canadians and quite a few um, Caribbean people as well.
1: Did you change during your time there in any way? Because I know with college, there's a huge adjustment, which you, you know, kind of alluded to, but then also so much change tends to happen in college. Did you change any at all in medical school? And if so, how?
0: Not much. I kind of corrected my study routine and I um, learned, uh, you know, the U.S. system of education pretty well. I mean, a little bit late to salvage my undergrad, but towards the third and fourth year of college, I kind of figured things out. And so I was able to carry that forth. And so when you get to medical school, you'll see that uh, and mostly it's about doing well in the exams. And as long as you have, you know, good study prep, you can get by, you can do well. So I think for me, I really corrected my mistakes from undergrad by the time I had gotten there.
1: So for the third-year student who's at an offshore school and they really want to be successful in the residency process, in the match process, do you have any tips for them on how to do well in the process, in the sort of coming back, as you call it?
0: You know, the exam scores are going to be one part. That's kind of what's going to get you um, your foot in the door or get you past the minimum cutoffs for programs to start looking at you. Um, But also what is very important is starting to Kinda get publications, lining up your letters of recommendation. Those are probably the two other very important things. You're going to need your letter of recommendations from people who are in the United States, not just people who are in the Caribbean or locally from your home country who are trained there. It has to be people who are actually in the United States. And then also, if you can start to have one or two cases written up or small you know, projects, that you can present at like a local meeting. Those publications, you'll be able to put them on your resume, and that will sort of, you know, build a groundwork so that when programs look at you, you know, you're not just somebody with high board scores, but you're somebody who can go there and contribute and, you know, be able to um, publish.
1: What's the very first step though in that publishing game? Like, how does it work at offshore medical schools? Do you approach the professors?
0: That will be in your third year, so. You would need to, um you want to finish your step one, step two, and then once you go and do your um, rotations in the United States, you would need to find, you know, an attending or a mentor pretty early in that process and see if, you know, they can hand you a very good case that you can write up with them and then that will serve that they will be on the case with you when it's published and then get a letter of recommendation. But that should be in the Third year, but very early. You don't want to wait until the fourth year until you have to apply. You want to have something kind of set in stone in the third year.
1: How do you do it, though? Is it just based on how you're performing in the rotation? Do you ask them explicitly? How is it done?
0: You have to show initiative. So probably the first thing that you do is when you're rotating, you'll be under a resident. So you would have to, you know, kind of ask them if they have encountered any good cases recently and ask them, You know, if you go ahead and write up the case will they mentor you on it or if they're involved in any kind of, you know, very small projects that you can help contribute on. But that's what you'd have to do. I mean, occasionally, you know, if you have somebody who knows a doctor and attending directly, you can go Mm -hmm. that route. But usually you'll have to be doing it through a resident.
1: All right. So the match process can be very rigorous for people, especially the more hurdles that they have. And I'm curious if you going through that process, now that you're, you're a fellow on your way to becoming an attendee, I'm curious to know if there is any habit that you developed in your residency match process, not fellowship, but your application to residency that has still stuck with you, like something that you're still using in your work today.
0: You really want to be as thorough um, as possible, and you don't want to underself- undersell yourself. So you, you really have to try and, and bring out your best. And, you know, um, I was able to do that probably more in my first fellowship application, you know, with the help of Memorable Essay. But you really want to be very thorough in what you put down on your resume, in how you present yourself, and then also your accomplishments. A lot of times I see people, you know, kind of underselling themselves. Mm-hmm. And with the right coaching you know you can give a better representation of what you have done you know in your medical school thus far and moving forward just being as thorough as possible
1: so you're saying that the process of applying to residency kind of showed you how to put together yourself on paper how to, yeah, work, how to package yourself, yourself um, right and i was saying how is that still serving you today
0: I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, you kind of have to carry forward because the further and further up you go, the more and more competitive it is. Everybody's having, you know, publications on their resume. You just always have to try and redefine yourself, resell yourself.
1: So I'm curious as you moved into, well, I guess maybe residency to fellowship would have been where you've seen this. But in residency, did you find that there was a difference between how American medical graduates versus IMGs would present themselves or not really when it comes uh, to applying and competing yeah. for opportunities?
0: Yes. The American medical grads, they aren't afraid to put pen to paper. They aren't afraid to you know really talk themselves up um, a lot, whereas some of the um, foreign grads might be a little bit more reserved, for sure. I would say um, the American grads were not reserved at all. I even remember a story. I was at a certain hospital <laughs> rotating uh, with some more uh, junior residency. I was at a hospital with some very elite US grads. And one of them there was applying for a fellowship and it was going on about how, you know, one of his close family members is a, like a right, a physician it was I think an mm-hmm. ER physician and a writer for New York times or somewhere. And uh, you know, this resident um, had expected that a family member was going to write their essay for them and basically edit their whole application and was actually a bit annoyed that they were having to do a little bit of the work themselves and give this family member some background so uh, when i heard that i was like if you're a foreign grad and you're coming from outside and these people have all these resources it's it's really an uphill battle so Just to be on a level playing field with somebody like that, you know, you would really have to have somebody really going over yourself, putting together a really good application. You know, a U.S. grad might already be ahead of the game because they have, you know, graduated from a U.S. medical school. And on top of that, they're going to have a very polished application. So, you know, coming from outside, it might be a little bit harder, you know, for the person reviewing the application to know how much you have done in medical school or what committees you've sat on that sort of a thing but you can't be shy you have to put it all down and really make your application stand out um
1: yeah that's so interesting because you'll say that and from time to time I do hear stories like that as well and I think when different individuals meet people like that it's when they realize like whoa (laughs) this is serious people here with professional ghostwriters
0: Exactly, and so you're like, man, you really have to try and at least you're just leveling the place and feel you're not even you know going one up.
1: Just going from or looking back to residency training, which part of it would you say is uh, or was a highlight for you now that you're in a different place with more responsibility? And
0: the residents, my co-residents that I used to work with, uh, were at a very busy hospital in New York, or a very busy program. And we were Mm -hmm. spread out across four hospitals. And, you know, it really was a lot of work. It was very busy. You know, you were working most months out of the year, not a lot of off time. And when we were there, myself and a lot of the co-residents, we did achieve a lot. We compared to like prior years. We were able to write up a lot of cases, get on projects, and then um, presented at national meetings. And so uh, a lot of the folks in my class were able to move on and get very good fellowships. And I know the program had kind of struggled a bit in the years before um, Mm -hmm. in getting people to go out to other programs outside of the state um, and match well for fellowships.
1: But that has changed. I mean, in terms of time management, though, how did you do that? And how can other residents do that? If you're overwhelmed with clinical duties, how do you find time to get publications and all this stuff?
0: You really have to kind of network and link with your other um, fellows as well. So, you know, one person might start on a project and might get the IRB approval for it. And then another fellow can come along. You know, who probably is on an elective rotation and break the back of the work. And then the two of you get together and do the statistics. But really, it's linking up with other people. Um, It's usually not a one man or one woman job. So you have to get in there. And sometimes, like for instance, uh, my residency program, there are people who came from the medical school there. And then they went on to do residency. So they would have had like the inside knowledge on certain projects or even be started on them. So sometimes you have to get together with those folks and work with them as well.
1: It's a team effort. Okay. Yeah. And so when it came time to move on to fellowship, based how much of a role do you think the research that you had done in residency, how much of a role do you think it played in your match? Or just uh, based on your interviews, how those went?
0: It does it does it does uh, play a pretty big role. Of course, one part that they look at is, you know, it was the university program that you did um, residency in versus a community program. And that mm-hmm. has a little bit of weight, but not that much. But people are looking for folks who have scholarly activity. Because they think that if you come to their institution, you'll be able to continue that and go to national meetings and present papers. And that's really what they're looking for. Nobody is looking for somebody to just come, soak up the training and move on somewhere else. You want somebody who is going to give back to the field. And that's kind of reflective of their interest. So I would say it is of paramount importance. And in fact, a lot of people who are coming into medical school know I know a lot of folks from India, from Pakistan, when they are finishing up their final year, they're coming over to the States, you know, they're doing rotations over here, you know, to be able to network and get letters of recs, Um, but they're also getting like scholarly activity done. So applying to residency, they're having like two, three projects already. Mm, So that's At the beginning. (laughs) At the beginning, even before they start. So, That's, you know, that's kind of how competitive things are now.
1: So get that research in by networking with your fellow residents and divvying up the work.
0: Yes. And if you know somebody who is in residency before while you're in medical school and they can help you get on a project even more so, because that's kind of how things are moving forward now.
1: How do you mean? Like when you're in medical school and if you know a resident...
0: Yeah. So if somebody graduated from UI like two or three classes back and they're a resident, no and you know, somebody who is actually in UI, you know, knows that person, if they can try and get them on a case or get them on a project and get them on the publication, that sort of a thing. It's, it's something that we in the Caribbean do not do a very good job of. Uh, when you look around Most of the residents and medical students from Southeast Asia, they have been doing it, doing it well. They have a lot of links over here. If you look at the Lebanese as well, like American University in Beirut, I mean, they come over and basically do their final year in the States. Um, A lot of the Jewish schools as well, like Sackler and those same things geographically, we are way closer to the United States and we are way behind on that because we just don't have that volume of physicians who are you know, Caribbean, who are in the States and you know can really help to parlay this for the others back home.
1: Um, on that topic, I wanted to ask your opinion on those research externships or those research opportunities yeah. that are like nine months, a year long, the research experiences that are a year long that some fmgs especially will take um and they're not necessarily financially compensated for Mm -hmm. them i just had another chat with someone about that and i'm just wondering if in your opinion it's worth it because i know some people who vehemently refuse they're like they're not going to get my unpaid labor And some people think it's more than worth it because of the in that it gives you. So I'm wondering about your thoughts on that as a part of the application strategy for some people.
0: Yeah, I think for some people, it's very essential. I mean, and for instance, at my medical school, same at his university, you do the first two years down there, you do the last two years in the States. So you're already in the States for two years. So it's very easy when you're in the rotations to get started on it. Versus if you went to UE and you do your five years, you know, and then you graduate, then if you need to spend one year in the States getting some research done and it has to be unpaid, then that's my maybe what you have to do unless you, While you were in medical school, you knew somebody who was over there who could get you on a few cases. We can get a few publications here and there and you can build a good enough resume to get you directly into residency. Sometimes that's just not feasible. It's just not viable. And you might have to spend a year doing it. But if you can get a couple publications and in that one year, you'll meet enough physicians to get probably the three letters of recommendation you need. But if you were to roll the dice and not do it, And then maybe you only have one letter of rec from, um, you know, a U.S.-based physician and then two from your home country. You are going to face a big uphill battle trying to get into residency.
1: I think the people who it's especially useful for are the ones who they just have all these other challenges. Like they're many years out. The step was like a borderline pass, that kind of thing.
0: I I totally agree Uh, if there's any kind of area on the application where you know you're going to be looked at a little bit closer so you're going to need to compensate for it in another area and I think that's where you know just doing the research for a year and trying to get on a paper is essential.
1: Yeah so people can kind of see you and know you you know because otherwise you're not going to pass
0: Yeah. It's so competitive now. I mean, it's uh, like over 40,000 people apply for uh, like a total of 30,000, I think, residency spots or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very, very competitive. The folks who are coming out of... Um, like pakistan and india they do do medical school like you like a five-year mbbs but a lot of times they spend the last year like over here in the states where you you have to be in jamaica and then you have to i think do an internship for a year or something like that so you can't go back and forth and so people from other countries are like integrating into the system a lot easier and it almost gives them basically like a track record of being in the states and it kind of shows that they know the system and that sort of a thing compared to, you know, folks in Jamaica.
1: Looking back at your own residency application process, if there's anything that you could change in terms of how you went about it, what would that be?
0: If I was able to, you know, maybe have like one or two more research projects. Uh, When I applied for residency, you know, I was very lucky I got good letters of recommendation. And I also had some case reports that were published. But mm-hmm. I never really had like a, a good research project, you know, to, follow, to really speak about a residency. And if I could have had something like that, not a very big one, but a smaller one with some data, I think that could have served me well.
1: So curious to know. So Dr. Christian is married to a physician. And I'm wondering if for you that made residency training easier or harder.
0: Uh, easier for sure when somebody's in medicine they kind of understand what you're going through as well Mm -hmm. they serve as a very good support system whereas for somebody who is uh, married to or dating somebody who is not in medicine they may not understand the work always or the challenges that you face on a day-to-day basis for me my wife was a very strong support system and Mm -hmm. so that ended up making things a lot easier
1: Okay. And how did you stay well during residency? The program that you were at, as you said, you know, just very busy, notoriously so. How did you take care of yourself?
0: For me, staying well in residency, I like to walk around New York City, which is where luckily we were in a big city. And Mm -hmm. then I also read novels in my off time. So that's kind of what keeps me level headed, so to speak.
1: And was your wife your major social support system or did you have close friendships with some of your peers? Yeah,
0: she was my major support system, but then um, there were also quite a few people from the Caribbean who were in um, my residency program, not just in the year, but across the three years. And so we used to get together from time to time. And so that really helped out as well, too.
1: So could you tell us a little bit about what you've done post-residency?
0: Uh, so yes, I'm in a fellowship right now, pulmonary and critical care at the University of Oklahoma. And finishing up my third year now, and I'll be going on to sleep fellowship uh, next year.
1: Looking at the future of the field you've chosen to be in, what kind of work are you excited to do?
0: You know, for me, I chose internal medicine and then pulmonary and critical care. So kind of you stay pretty broad in the fields that i've chosen rather than going into just cardiology which is the heart or gi you know the stomach that sort of stuff so for me i've been luckily able to stay pretty broad and i'll be doing sleep as well so i see myself doing probably mostly sleep and the icu as i grow older and probably when i'm Still fairly young. I'll probably try and be more hospital-based and, you know, be in the hospital, working in the ICU. And then as I get a little bit older, I'll be more in the outpatient setting, doing more of the sleep um, medicine.
1: And looking back, because actually during our interview, you've constantly said it's more competitive now, it's more competitive now, which I'm guessing you think it has gotten more, well, I mean, actually, objectively, it has gotten more competitive with time. But looking back at your own process of applying, do you think there's anything... Like, did you underestimate or overestimate what it took to be successful in the process? Oh, I think I
0: estimated it pretty well. You know, I had a lot of respect for the process going in. You, know, you want to overestimate the best you can. You want to have zero slip-ups. You know, you really don't want to have anything bad on the resume when it comes to, like, the steps or, you know, any behavioral issues. You don't want to have any exam failures or anything like that. So I would say I estimated it well. My advice would be to overestimate, you know, really come prepared for other people.
1: I mean, did you have any peers or colleagues? Because I know oftentimes for people who did not have any slip-ups in the steps, they say, don't have any slip-ups in your exams. But what if you're somebody who you're just as hardworking and just as focused, but something was happening around that time or you didn't quite understand what it entailed and you did have a slip-up as an IMG, is that the end for you?
0: It's not the end, but again, you may need to take that extra year and do some research in the States and you might need to not just do it anywhere. Maybe you might try and do it in New York or maybe in Florida. Again, when it comes to like residency interviews, I've seen kind of like a geographic preference. Like for instance, mm-hmm. you know, I did a lot of my year in Baltimore and then my last year in Florida. I didn't get a ton of New York interviews, whereas some of the folks from other Caribbean schools like Ross and St. George's who rotate almost exclusively in New York or Chicago, they get a lot of interviews because people who are reviewing their applications saw that they work you know, in that area. And that's Mm -hmm. where the majority of residences are concentrated. So if you're somebody who had a bit of a ding on one of the steps, you know, you might try and get like a a research, you know, position somewhere there, because that's going to give you the most bang for your buck when it's applying, because people are more likely to give you an interview there.
1: All right. And so, Francis, could you tell us a little bit about what you do for fun?
0: Oh, uh, I like to watch movies and read novels. And so this is my favorite time of the year because Michael Connelly always releases his book around now. John Grisham mm-hmm. releases his book around now, which is what I'm reading. So I always have plenty of books to read now. Early in the year, is kind of dry. The stuff that I read is not out. So I read lots of novels. I watch uh, movies and shows with my wife and play with my baby. Oh,
1: there's a baby. That's actually interesting. Okay, so since you brought her up, um, which I know, but I... Actually, didn't bring her up because I didn't know if she was a topic of discussion. But what is that like being a parent while you're still training? Because She was born right fellowship. when you started fellowship, right?
0: A little ways into fellowship. Yeah, it is busy. And when I look back on some of my colleagues in residency, you know, who had children, I'm just like, I can't believe they did it. They were like mm-hmm. superhuman. Um, so it's something that you have to plan for and be prepared Um you know, especially if you're making a transition, you know, from one country to another. A lot of people who I've seen who had children, especially in residency, they had family support like close by to help take care of the child. So just be prepared because it's not easy and it's not like a nine to five job a weekend's off. You'll be working weekends and you need to kind of try and find a babysitter, that sort of a thing. So it's not easy, but it's doable if you plan correctly.
1: What makes it all worth it for you?
0: So what's worth it for me is, you know, the, the joy that I get in practicing medicine, you know, helping people get better, you know, when we can. Sometimes if we can't, you know, helping families understand the limitations of what we do. So I do get a lot of joy from my job um, doing that. But for me, it's not just, you know, within the walls of the hospital. I'm not married to the job. I do have a wife and a child. And uh, I do get a lot of joy, you know, hanging out with them and being with them, which I think is also very important because I won't be practicing medicine until I'm 80 or 90 years old. And if God forbid I get sick very young, I am leaving the job to spend time with my family.
1: All right, so we're going to go back to something that's a little fun. I am going to put the timer on and ask you 60 seconds of fun questions. Okay. So with these questions, the goal is to just answer as quickly as you can. You know, like don't think too much about it. Just sort of say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So New York or Florida? Florida. Train or plane? Train. Are you afraid of flying?
0: I don't like. Uh, I don't like small planes. If you said big, if you said big plane or train, I would say big plane. But okay. um, when you're in Oklahoma, you have to take a lot of small. Planes.
1: Okay. <laughs> Sneakers or shoes? Sneakers. On your day off, Netflix or movie theater?
0: Movie theater. Summer
1: or fall? Summer. Favorite movie? Uh, too many. What is it?
0: Too many, I can't think of one.
1: Okay, who dead or alive would you most want to meet?
0: Mm. Skip. <laughs> <Go on. laughs>
1: Last picture in your phone?
0: Uh, picture my baby.
1: Last meal?
0: Last meal, uh, falafel yeah um falafel pita
1: and most memorable moments with a patient
0: we're not gonna talk about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right francis well thank you so much for your time i think your interview will be really helpful to people who are in offshore schools and that was cool because of your background actually you have a very mixed sort of background so you could see people from the public schools people from offshore schools residency fellowships so i think everybody has a lot to get from this interview
0: yeah no no problem absolutely absolutely
1: all right thank you
0: you're most welcome
1: thank you for tuning into the img residency match podcast to learn more about how you can match into your dream residency even if right now you don't know where to start go watch a free training brought to you by the IMG Residency Match application accelerator at imgresidencymatch.com. By the end of the training, you'll know how to create an application that communicates to programs why they need to invite you to interview and rank you highly so you can match. Now, don't forget to share this podcast with at least one colleague you know applying to the match so you can celebrate together on match day. And be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And now we close with a word of inspiration from me, your host, Shauna Kay. Maybe you don't need to drop out of the race. Maybe you need to change the lane you are in or create your own lane.